Hi, I'm Eva Blanco Macias from Santa Clara University, and I'm Vice President for Enrollment Management. Hello, everyone. I am Jennifer Sandoval Dance with Claremont McKenna College, and I'm the Associate Vice President for Admission and Financial Aid. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Keegan, and I'm Vice President for Enrollment Management at Bucknell University. Hello, everyone. I'm Melinda Wood, Associate Vice President for Access and Enrollment Management and Director of Undergraduate Admissions at James Madison University. Aloha mai kako. Uh, I'm Nikki Chun. I'm the Vice Provost for Enrollment Management at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Welcome, Welcome to the, to the yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That was beautiful. Just as just as good as the first episode of the season. Can we try All right, again? great. Awesome. I think we need a do-over. No way. That was perfect. That is gold and that's staying. And all of this is also staying in the show. Welcome to the Alp, the Admissions Leadership Podcast, a series of, well, it's normally a series of one-on-one -on -one conversations, but this is a one-on-five conversation with some really wonderful women of admission and enrollment. Um, and I, I, oh yeah, and I'm also Ken Anselman, Vice President for Enrollment Management at RHB. Forgot about myself, but that's okay. Um, and we should say at the outset, this is supposed to have been a panel at NACAC in Houston. Lisa pulled us all together, right? Lisa, did you, when did we hatch this idea? I, um, and by we, I mean you, you were nice enough to. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there was a uh, flurry of emails happening in very early May, right, bef right before the deadline for proposals. Mm -hmm. Just like the kids were trying to recruit, right? Just right at right. the last minute. <laughs> That's right, right at the last minute. <laughs> and and NACAC was kind enough to say, no, thanks. <laughs> so we're taking it to the people. Um, but it was such a, I think the idea was really great to, that Lisa had been talking about, which was there are a lot of folks that have ascended to leadership roles. Um, but we really wanted to center this around five women who had ascended to leadership roles in the last couple of years because something else was going on in the last couple of years. So also onboarding in the middle of a pandemic and what, what the challenges have been like. You're occasionally going to hear a beagle um, in the background. I don't know if you just heard him make his sound. Okay, cool. We're going to keep him in the show too, just to, he, he has things to say. I've been talking <laughs> about the beagle for episodes and episodes, and he never actually says anything. So people were beginning to think whether he's real or not, but he's for sure real. Um, <laughs> but I, I would really be interested in just to set the context for our listeners, and we'll do a quick round robin again, is when did you move into your new role? How did that how did that come about um, and kind of what was what role were you in before? And then we'll get into the fun, like what any interesting circumstances, lessons learned. Boy, I wish I had known this before this started. And then we'll we'll take it from there. So, Eva, if you don't mind, you were actually about to make this transition, I think, when you were first on the Alp back yes. in the day. <laughs> Ah, gosh, it, it's been so long. It feels like it's been so long ago. Um, well, so I was Dean of Admission prior to um, this current role. Um, and I'd been in that role for about five years. And I think when the pandemic hit was literally and when everything shut down here at the university was the week before our pre day when all our admitted students come to campus. Um, at the time, my uh, predecessor had um, already announced his retirement, so it was going to be a role that I was going to um, go for, but, you know, that was going to come a little later. Um, 
But what happened shortly thereafter was um, certainly we had to already change gears and we were coordinating well together. But my um, my boss actually had a, um, a pretty life threatening health emergency. And uh, so although um, I wasn't officially in this role, that kind of felt like my moment when I had to very quickly um, you know, fill those shoes that were enormous shoes. And um, during a pandemic, when there was just not a whole lot to really hold on to. So here we went. And, um, you know, I look back, and what I'm most grateful for one was um, just the incredible support from our, our very own our team, right? Those right. who were with us. And um, they were just, um, at that moment in time, you know, resilient, they went for it, their, like their creativity and just how are we going to continue doing our work? So, um, you know, that was really the, um, the beginning and, uh, uh, and, and the moment when everything changed for me. Yeah. I remember that. Jen, how about, how about you? When did this, when did this move happen? And again, from what to what? Sure. So July 2019 was when I was made the chief enrollment officer. And prior to that, I had not ever seen financial aid. So that that came with that promotion. Prior to that, I was the assistant vice president for admission. So it was an elevation from being director. It allowed me to promote uh, one of my staff to director to really prepare for my transition. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. Uh, Lisa? Yes, so I, um, my on-campus interview at Bucknell was February 28th of 2020. Hmm, uh, let's see, what was that? If you remember, 2020 yeah, was a something leap happened. year. <laughs> yeah. I flew home February 29th. It was a Saturday. I was offered a job on March 2nd. And most institutions, including Bucknell, were sending their students home for the remainder of the spring semester somewhere around you know, March 10th or 12th of that year. Um, so I moved from being um, an assistant vice president and dean of undergraduate admissions at a university where I grew up, right? My alma mater, a place that I had been for 15 years um, and was moving someplace completely different. I started at Bucknell on July 1st of 2020 and was met outside by a masked colleague who handed me office keys and a Ziploc bag and walked into a dark building and opened an office I had never seen and uh, hopped on Zoom. And, you know, like Eva, I credit the team. Um, I didn't uh, have an opportunity to interview with the entire team. And many of them I didn't see in person for over a year. I remember a moment when I finally had a chance to meet my regional representatives in person, um, you know, which was really not until fall of 21. Uh, So a a transition experience that I'm not sure anything could really prepare you for. Um, And, you know, not only thinking about the personal transition for myself and my family, right, moving and and. And starting somewhere new during a time when we couldn't house hunt or tour schools, right, or any of the things you would normally do in a job transition. But really thinking about the team and all of the uncertainty facing them with a brand new leader. Um, So I think that was, you know, at the forefront of my mind as as I was navigating that. 
Oh wow, Melinda, how about you? When did the when did the transition happen, and from what to what was the transition? Sure. So I was similar to Lisa. I was serving as director of admissions at an institution that I had served for more than twenty years, and. Um, had grown up in the profession there. So, and I felt that I had kind of come to the pinnacle of my career at that institution and it really shaped the future of that admissions team. And I was ready personally for something new in those, those early days of the pandemic as we're doing more and more and trying to figure out really that life balance and what I wanted in my future. Um, and so the journey began at that time. I joined James Madison in July of 2021. I came at a point where the university itself was going through some significant change. Um, and I, my predecessor was retiring after 20 plus years in the role as, as dean at that time. Um, and so I walked into an office of really seasoned professionals, strong team that had been there for a really long, long period of time. But they were struggling. They were struggling to find their footing in this new normal, so to speak, or to figure out what was going to be the new normal. We were onboarding um, a new CRM that had been in place for about two months before I had arrived. We oh, were <laughs> we were moving to the common application. So the fall of 21 was our first year with the common application. And while I had experience in those areas, I did not have experience doing both of those things at the same time. And really coming into a team that was looking for strong leadership to bring them forward because yeah. they knew that we needed to make change and grow in, in meaningful ways. Um, but it was difficult, I will say. And I credit the team tremendously because I said, you know, as we were moving through that change, in many ways, they were um, welcoming a new leader and trusting me to, to guide them in all the right ways. And it was lots of questions of doubt and um, concern. There was there was one moment, though, that stands out in that transition. I think it was day one or two um, of my arrival. And someone on my team asked me uh, what I wanted to do about single-use plastics. Little did I know the state of Virginia had banned single-use plastics in, um, in kind of state agencies. And so... <laughs> I thought, are you asking me this question? Of course, you know. And I realized, right? Have, oh, <laughs> right. I realized in that moment, oh, this is what it means to be the the leader of the department, right? I'm making these decisions, and the concerns and the issues that come forward matter, and that's what this role is all about. And how I navigate that, how I answer, um, will be critical to the success, not only. Uh, for this this admissions team. Inquiring minds want to know, what did you decide to do about the single-use plastics? Thankfully, the governor had set a six-month window, so I had time <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> to make the transition and make sure that we were in compliance before oh, the end of the year. So, but it was... Um, it was interesting to see. I wish the listeners can could see the, the looks on our faces <laughs> of colleagues as she was describing onboarding a new CRM and going common app for the first year. Yeah. It was just like jaw drops and cringes. <laughs> yeah, that, maybe we'll have to post a screen. I, I should have taken a screenshot because yeah, <laughs> but it, did, it was kind of a cringe and an oh, I'm so sorry to hear that look on everybody's exactly. face. Exactly. I think that's that classic decision. 
<laughs> what was that, Eva? The plastic decision, though, nothing tops that. Oh, yeah, that's when you know it's real, right? When they they look right. to you like, well, of course you know the answer. You are a changed person. <laughs> oh, Nikki. Hey. Uh, hey, I I'm actually I want to go a little bit rogue, because um, Jen, of course, I, I'm, of course, so, of course, I'm going to do this, right? Jen, I'm just so curious, like looking back. Would you do this again? Would you make the same decision? And nobody's going to hear this. This is just. Would I step us. into this role again? Yeah. Knowing what I know now, oh, absolutely. Knowing what you, yeah. Yeah. What was like sort of the biggest, biggest eye-opening piece for you? You know, I, I think that my peer there there were quite a few things. There were I did I knew a lot. I I was I had a lot of I had a great team. I had that I had pretty much built entirely and knew the institution incredibly well. I think for me, like understanding my peer group changed, you know, from like just working with the president's executive cabinet and having a voice, cultivating that voice at the table took me a while. I think I was taking it all in. I wish I had been more assertive at that earlier stages, but Mm. yeah, I mean, it's to be at an institution for 17 years and see it grow and change and evolve in so many ways and been in a, formative part of helping to shape the classes to adjust to those changes and yeah. um, develop really thick skin. This is a place where there's just a lot of candor and um, it's just, it's open, like, right? So <laughs> it's going to come at you. you. But the good thing is, you know where people stand, you know where they stand. They're not, um, and that's always been a bit of a relief to me is like, I can take it. I am, some people I think because of my size and maybe because of my gender, I don't know, think, you know, we got to kind of present this in a different way, I always say, no, 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 I, I need the truth right now, or, or the, what it is that you need to tell me right now. I am not going to cry. I'm not going to crumble. Uh, and we can actually address it then and, and be in a much more authentic space. So, but yeah, I think it, it's just been, it's, it's easier when you know the, so many of the people and the policies and some of the politics. I think that made it a lot easier for me. But the place I mean, to see so many students and now they're having kids and their kids are pretty soon going to be in college. That part is just amazing. Incidentally, I had a conversation with a mentee this morning who is similarly, like has grown up through the, her current institution. I was just trying to think about like, how do you present that um, as she's trying to like get out of Dodge? Um, so thank you. That's good advice. Um, good things to think about. For those of you who came up in your own institution and you were now ontologically changed by this role, did you have to change some things in the way you worked with your team? And if so, how? Yeah. Uh, so I, I've been at Santa Clara for almost 20 years. Yeah. So um, it's been a long time. I started as a transfer counselor and, you know, like Jen, um, you know, being in admissions, I, I, I've have a great amount of pride in having, you know, built uh, this organization in some ways. And um, I think once I landed in this role, which, um, you know, after there was a formal part, actually, after, while you know, we're navigating um, uh, COVID, I still had to go through an interview process. It had to be Zoom and it included constituencies across campus. That's just how we do it. Uh, and everything from board of trustees to, um, you know, my own team. So um, it it was, um, it was a lot, but, you know, in that process, I think that process com- 
it helped um, solidify and kind of um, reaffirm why I was going for this position, why it mattered to me. And it did also highlight for me um, across the campus, because again, the constituencies were everywhere, academic, yeah, yeah. staff in a number of places, was it, reaff- um, it reinvigorated me because I felt their support. You know, I felt like I came into this exercise with um, feeling encouragement from their kind of line of questioning and because they've seen me, right. They've known me. And, um, and it turned out that I was ultimately the only, the finalist, right. Perhaps I think of maybe even one of two, perhaps, I don't know, but, um, but that helped, um, I think for me gain my confidence that yes, there's, you know, there's support here that I can depend on, um, as we go into this really um, uncertain journey. And, and it really has turned out that way, mm-hmm. um, you know, two years later. And during that period in time, when we were then having to figure out, okay, what, what systems do we bring in? What, um, you know, new approaches and whether marketing, communication, reaching out to students, do we need to deploy? And um, I found myself using um, what was comfortable to me. And that was my leadership style, which tends to be very consultative. Um, I bring in people's input. I need to hear from those who are, you know, working the front lines or having a, you know, certain area of specialty. I need to hear from them to then ultimately um, make a decision. So I felt like we were really making decisions together. Um, And so when then it came time to um, bring in the rest of the campus, you know, that was really what I um, defaulted to. And, um, and it felt a bit like I was reaching out to friends and colleagues who wanted the same thing. So, you know, I, as difficult as it was, I just constantly found um, reinforcement, affirmation, support in that exercise. And um, although that first year, as we were coming out of um, the pandemic, um, you know, we we had our class that, you know, was a little bit different than what we had planned. Um, but following up on that year, I mean, we've had just, you know, success from there, but it is a very different look and feel. Um, and year two, and um, you know, all those who were in the trenches and 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 uh, you know, really responding to the emergencies and crisis at hand, literally on a day to day basis, um, did have changes and and their thoughts and what they wanted to do. So several left, um, a good number of folks then left. Um, no, no offense. And in fact, they actually left with a lot more experience, right? Because they all of a sudden uh, exercised a number of new, um, you know, some became like marketers and specialists in different areas that then they were able to put on their resume. So good for them, right? I think that they grew very rapidly from this experience to then go off to catapult into, you know, other career pathways that, that were fulfilling that really, you know, um, uh, recognize their their growth, um, but of course that put us in a position, <laughs> um, and uh, you know here we are. Then still, I think trying to adjust to um, how we prepare for the future because our institutions and how we do our work, of course, is very very different. Um, but um, that's not to say that I didn't find some of those people there is you know even in the institution that aren't always in support or see things the same way. Um, but I feel like I don't speak for myself. I speak for those I work with and I speak also ultimately for the students who we're bringing on board. And so that gives me a whole lot of conviction uh, to make decisions the way I do. I, I 
I just want to comment for a second. I, although I wasn't an internal candidate for, for this role, right? I, Eva, I appreciate how you framed being an internal candidate, right? And um, through that process, I when I was dean of admissions, I was interim for a year and then, you know, had to apply for the full-time position. I remember being a little bit I guess surprised, right, that I'd sort of have to go through the formal interview process. I'd been kind of interviewing for a year as as interim, and a very wise mentor said to me, this is your opportunity to show the entire campus community that this role is yours. Um, And I just I just wanted to put that out there because I think for anyone who is thinking about taking a step at their um, existing university or thinking about what that would mean to be an internal candidate, um, flipping it, right, and and framing it in that far more positive way, I, oh, I yeah. think can help, help anyone get through that process. Good advice. Thank you. And I realize I need to come back to Nikki and have Nikki... Tell her transition story, and then we'll get back into things. But yeah, thank Eva. Thank you for that that background, um, and Lisa for that that bit of advice. And there's going to be another solicitation for advice a little bit further down the road. You have no idea what I'm going to ask either. Oh, We're going to um, pretend we own a consulting firm together. That's oh. that's the that's the hint. Will there be T-shirts? That's really sort of the. Well, uh, let's see. Maybe I could I could see if RHB will make a special T-shirt for us. Um, I just realized I have now committed. I just want more consulting hours. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Now you're talking. Now you're talking. And I realized I may have just inadvertently uh, turned RHB into um, some sort of clothing manufacturer, which we are not. Um, So we do a lot of other things. Nikki, your story. Um, Yeah. So um, I had, I've been the director of admission at Caltech for about a year and a half. And um, so I'd been at Caltech um, from 2015, um, promoted to the director role in 2019. And I was ready to just like sail for a good several years. Loved Southern California, um, loved what we were doing, had a plan. I had like a seven to 10 year plan. What? Even that just felt, yeah, no, I, I, I was, I was like, was it real? I mean, I, I was like, why, why not? And then even that felt a little, a little short, but I was like, all right, let's, let's take it in that chunk. And maybe like a year and a half in was when the, um, this job opened up, um, and I was contacted, um, by, um, uh, Shelly Arakawa with Kiefer, who I've known for a long time, um, and I think it was like spring, so it was like March-ish. And um, I probably said this on the, our last episode. My my first response to her was, "No thanks, like I'm good. Like I love this job. Why not?" I don't think you're supposed um, to say that to Shelley. <laughs> but like Shelley's also Shelley, and so right. Shelley didn't accept that first answer. Right. Um. And uh. And she 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 pulled me in because she just said, I just want to put you in front of the committee. And honestly, like reading this job description, it looked like this, it was, I mean, to this day, it's still a little bit intimidating. Um, But it also just, I couldn't go past the feeling that this was a once in a lifetime opportunity in so many senses of the word. How many times was this going to be a first? How many times was anybody going to ever be the first? And 
for me coming home uh being in just home town home land um and with uh an incredible growing institution um so as much as as much as i had a plan uh i i went forward and i did my i, I put everything that i had into it and it got all the way down to having to make a final decision and there just wasn't a world where I could imagine saying no. Mm. Um, and I, I said as much to, to the provost. Um, and then just have so much more admiration for people who've made these kinds of transitions during COVID because I never thought that I would. Um, and then I did. And, um, and I, even now, uh, a year later, um, still so many people I'm meeting in real life um, and uh, just, just in awe of the whole thing. Um, yeah. To this point. Yeah. Thank you, Nikki, and thanks for your patience while we got our way back to you here several minutes into the <laughs> into the recording. But um, I, I do want to I want to pivot into something which I think is germane to the topic of what what brought us all together. And Nikki, you said a first, um, and describe your first. Uh, so, um, uh, University of Hawaii at Manoa was going through a, a reorg. Uh, right. It was phase phase two of this uh, reorg, um, and a part of that was establishing this role, the vice provost right. for enrollment management, and moving those offices, admission aid, financial aid, and registrar from the student success umbrella uh, into its into its own. Yeah. Um, so. Are others of you a first? in your role. I think, for example, of, um, so Mary Beth Petrie, who's now the VP for enrollment at DePauw, was the first Dean of Admission who was a woman in Lawrence University's history in her position. And I wonder for how many of you that is a case. You are a first of something, Eva. Yeah, I am the first uh, female in this role. Um, it's not um, that, old. In fact, um, so there was two previous, um, one was a vice president. Prior to that, it was vice provost, um, but they were both males and, uh, you know, giants in this field. So it was a little intimidating coming mm -hmm. into the role um, because although I, I had a previous career, but the extent of my admissions and or enrollment related experience has been entirely at Santa Clara. Yeah. Um, so, but I was also the first, um, Latina, mm -hmm. uh, first Latina in this role, not in first Latina, uh, any Latina. People can't see first. Nikki's going like hands, like raising the roof <laughs> down here. In the <laughs> well, and any Latinx person in the cabinet that was also yeah. female, I believe. So, um, you know, that's a whole other <laughs> kind mm -hmm. of lens as well. Um, but there again, as, as. You know, I think in moments like this, we want to default to those who've gone before us and um, nothing is ever exactly in. And there were other folks who helped me get to this journey, including, you know, um, my, my previous boss and um, several, uh, in, including then the first person who had this role and uh, the dean prior to me. And uh, so there are folks that I was always able to go back for support and help and advice. Um, but, you know, I think being in this role as the first, um, you also recognize that um, 
that does change things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does also, I think that there's just so much to say about lived experiences and what your lived experiences bring to this role. Um, you know, as a Latina in particular, um, when I look, I, I, you know, I'm here in California where you look at the uh, school system and it is predominantly, you know, growing and will be, um, is a good majority uh, Latinx students. So, you know, very often there's, um, there's conversations, right, about the enrollment cliff, there's conversations around um, the changing in the composition of uh, graduating seniors and um, you know, those are folks I can relate to. And I think that there's just so much, um, that I can bring to that conversation, um, that may or may not make it into, you know, those strategic plans and, or those tough decision-making conversations. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, again, while intimidating because, Mm. and, 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 and sometimes, you know, when I thought about that role, I, I, or that being first, I didn't necessarily see it as like, ah, you know, triumphant, if you will. I actually saw it as like, I shouldn't be the first, right? This should have happened. This should have happened um, a while ago. Yeah. Um, I'm glad it's changing, but I, I don't want to continue to be the only and the first either. So there's a little bit of a responsibility, I think I feel in terms of um, how we pay this forward and how we um, you know, sort of expand the opportunities for others who might be in, in all respects, right? Not just in this profession, but um, in uh, in access to higher education yeah. in particular. Eva, I think you may have just given this episode its title. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't be the first. Um, I know, we, thank you for sharing that. I know we've got some other firsts. In fact, show of hands, how many of you, you're all first of something in your role, are you not? I mean, Nikki, you're the first in the first, the role never existed. Jen, you are, you, you also said that. Sure. Yes. In very similar ways as Ava, I'm the, you know, first woman to be the chief enrollment officer at Clarence McKenna, mm-hmm. first Latina. And I'm also the only Latina on the president's executive cabinet as well. Uh, first, first generation college going person to be in this role as well. So those are those are some of the first that I think the role at Claremont McKenna, just to position it prior to me moving into this role, we actually had a different structure. The vice president oversaw student affairs as well as admission and financial aid. And then there was somebody underneath him who was the dean of admission, who was the former financial aid director. So we had this interesting uh, assortment and structure of leadership. None of, n- none of them had admission experience. So there was when I stepped into the role, there was this void in terms of, I think, folks here within the community mm-hmm. feeling like they were getting enrollment reports, right? Really getting a sense of what was happening and what issues there were, because the two folks that were really reporting out to them didn't have that that experience or that they also had other things on their plate that they were focusing on. So that sure. was an interesting um, birth by fire with a lot of questions and realizing that it was more of a black box than than I had thought, because I thought I was giving a lot of information. So also the first person to reveal the truth. Yeah. <laughs> what was going on? Just okay. answer questions. They were going. On. Yeah. Um, and Melinda, you said you are also. Yes, I'm the first in my role. Um, the first chief enrollment officer at JMU, and um, I'm a first generation college student, and I am have a background as a transfer student. So I really bring that lens to this role, and I think carefully and passionately about transfer students in my process 
because sometimes I think that they're um, easy to overlook. And so it's great to be able to stand in front of my team and say they matter too, and that these spaces are just as important um, as, uh, or just as important for these students to be in our spaces. So first. And, and judging from what I remember your title, you may be the first person to have a title of the length that you have. I've, I've actually never heard somebody <laughs> with that many. Could you say what it was again, just for those who didn't store it in their heads? Uh, sure. So Associate Vice President for Access and Enrollment Management and Director of Undergraduate Admissions. So 12, 12 elements to your top. That's awesome. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, Lisa, you also are a first. I am. I'm the first VP for enrollment at Bucknell to be a woman. And then um, to my knowledge, I'm not sure um, in the previous iterations of just having a dean and not a vice president, if, if there had ever been a, a woman. And I'll say in my in my search process and thinking about accepting this position, um, it was a privilege to, to have some choice in thinking about who I'd be working alongside. Mm. And there were several other um, women cabinet members, right? And so there was some comfort in walking in the door and thinking about what that experience would be of, of the voices at the table. Um, and I didn't have that necessarily at my previous university, kind of in thinking about that next step. And the other thing I'll say about that, you know, not necessarily from the lens of being the first, but I have found myself in this role in the chief enrollment officer thinking very differently about, uh, I don't know quite the right way to phrase it, but not hiding elements, I suppose, of my identity in a way that I did earlier in my career or at lower levels. So I'll give an example. Yeah, same way. Right? When that. I was a mid-level manager, you know, and a new mom and, and your kid had the doctor's appointment, it would be like, don't put it on your calendar that it's your kid's doctor's appointment, right? Or, or you have to miss something for work. Whereas I think the pandemic helped and I think some confidence helped and thinking a little bit about the responsibility that we have in these roles to be on a Zoom with my toddler on the lap, right? <laughs> and just like, this is who I am and this is a role that I have and and how can I lead by example in other ways, right? And, and you know, I'm talking about it from the lens of being a mother, but it goes, I think, much broader in helping everyone on your team understand that they can show up as their whole selves and work and that we're going to accept that and and embrace that and and think about what that means in a way that not sure I know I wasn't prepared to do right and I'm not sure institutions were either that's an interesting observation though about the people actually physically having to bring their whole selves to work when we were all on zoom and has that moment also shifted? I mean, it certainly shifted people's relationship with work in, in a number of ways, but actually, because I, I'm sure we all can think of folks who had children on their laps during the course of Zoom meetings, whether they were ourselves or they were our colleagues, and, and we got a different insight into maybe the fuller human experience that they bring. But I'd be interested if any of you have any reactions to the part Lisa mentioned about not being able to bring your full self. Has, has coming into this role, especially as a first, I mean, I hear a lot of first women in roles. How does that change your relationship with the work and also maybe create opportunities 
for others on your team to change their relationships with their work? Um, I, I really appreciate what, what Lisa was saying yeah. and uh, it's resonating with me. Um, and I, I, what comes to mind with your question is that I think it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't showing up as an authentic self. I think I was raised, um, I, I didn't realize the, the impact of colonialism and that it actually trained me to show up in a performative way. And, and I was doing that. And it wasn't until I met and surrounded myself with other, with other folks that um, have different relationships with that and, and different understandings that I was like, you know, there was, there's always been this sort of like tug somewhere in there. Like I never saw myself as a social justice oriented person. Um, until I started surrounding myself with different folks, and and then I was like, is this is this the always is this how I've always been? And I thought about it, and I was like, I think so because there's always been something that wasn't quite right, and I didn't know what that meant, um, and and I think it does make a difference um, showing up and and modeling that so that other people hopefully someday will. Um, create work environments where we don't even have to think about it, um, that showing up as yourself is, is the same habit um, that somehow we've, you know, the one that we've developed now. Anybody else want to jump in on that? I'll just add, I, I definitely relate to what Lisa said. It, it's something that I think the, the time away from everything in the pandemic illuminated for me because I, I was all work all the time. And I did that to myself. I don't think that was actually, I had really supportive supervisors when I had my child, uh, when I had my daughter. So I, I don't think that that was actually something that the culture created for me. But I do, I, I realized I was like, gosh, my team, once we were, you know, all communicating from our homes, really doesn't know a lot about me. Some do, but most don't. They, you know, I, I went through a whole divorce, like for, you know, the year and didn't tell, this was many years ago, but didn't tell anybody on my team until it was already done. Cause my thing was, I don't want to be treated differently. I, I want to be able to show up, do my job, not bring that in. And I have a totally different take on it now. I mean, obviously everybody's going to balance that differently, but I think it's important that they understand all those elements that make us who we are and that we're always living in, in different spaces. And yes, there's going to be times when other things in our life are going to take priority and, and that's important. And we respect that. And as long as, you know, we're staying engaged and showing them that we, that, we all have those vulnerabilities. We all have those moments where we have to balance that and, and being very real with that. I think that is inspiring and it, it allows them to feel comfortable doing that too. I mean, I used to come to work, fly, flying at 2am, come to work at 8am the next morning. That's ridiculous, right? <laughs> get, stay home, get some rest. And I, I think when, when we, when I start started doing that, I started seeing my team taking more agency in that and taking better care of themselves without anything suffering you know, total commitment. So it's been, it's Wait, been fun. I'm still, not entirely there yet, but it's been you fun. still made the class? Wait, <laughs> what? Shocking, I know. Yeah, I know. But the, it's weird to see, but like how you laughed at that. Like, but of course that was a thing we did. You get in at two, you show up at eight because that's the way things are done. Until someone says, that's ridiculous. That's not how they should be like, done. Why? And it turns out, no, you need to leave some gas in the tank. Eva, you looked like you wanted to say something when Nikki was... Yeah, no, and I appreciate yeah. everybody's comments. I, I you know, it yeah. just gets me to think about, I, 
you know, in my uh, world of what was admissions, I think that um, we built a culture here that was pretty open. And I think that um, we came to really understand that when we bring our authentic selves and our ideas is when we're best at our work, you know, where we, we uh, uh, contribute to an environment where we can all just be very comfortable. And, and, and so, you know, of course, any given time, there's always dips here and there, but that was generally the understanding of our culture. But once here in the office, but once I came into this role, I had those questions about, you know, can I show up to a cabinet meeting and crack a joke like I do at our, (laughs) you know, at our meetings on Monday morning? Um, You know, could I, you know, just sometimes do code switching because there's some folks in my, in in our office who speak Spanish and I can do that and they understand it and they get it. Um, And so there was this um, sort of consciousness and kind of wondering where those um, kind of, you know, points of demarcation are, because now is entering kind of a different culture, if you will, at the cabinet level and other kinds of relationships across campus. So I did question that. But, you know, over the, the other thing that was happening in our world here was also this, um, um, this change in our society where folks were calling for changes in and, um, in how we do things, in the norms, in um, you know, advocacy for social justice in a number of different ways. And so that really got me to think about like, well, how do I bring this to my work in a way where we start changing the norms? And um, I can't, you know, now when I think about when we're hiring versus when we used to hire, right? Let's say even 10 years ago, I think we always thought about like, well, who might fit in the institution? Well, if we're trying to change the institution to be more forward facing and, you know, adjust to the, what society and what we're preparing our students for, well, then we got to change ourselves. So um, not easy to do, right? When we're just so used to always being a certain way, but that certainly has given me a lot more kind of confidence and agency to kind of be more of my authentic self. We're at our best when we're our our authentic selves. So um, the more we, we model that um, and the more we, allow others to, 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 you know, exercise that same level of comfort, we would just, I think, be better in a better place, honestly. And I think communication would, would be a lot better. And, you know, we'd break through some of these silos that exist across our institutions. But, um, but I think that is one of the things that um, uh, initially wasn't so much at the fore for, for me, but it's, 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 I'm a lot more conscious about it. And to, to, to make some changes, you've you got to kind of got to be intentional about it. Yeah, thanks for that. So I had mentioned earlier, <clears throat> we're going to have a pop-up consulting firm. Um, and it's a, it's a real narrow focus on, on our work, but we've been hired uh, to coach uh, a person who has just become uh, their chief enrollment officer, your counterpart, first time in the role. Um, and they are a first, they are a first something person of color, first woman, both, first, first gen. Um, What's your advice you give them for day one? You're supposed to be there and you have something to contribute because I guarantee every single one of us, day one sitting in the chair, had a question that, right? You know, that, that imposter syndrome, how did I get picked? How am I supposed to follow this person? So that would be the one thing I would say. You, you are supposed to be there and you have something to contribute. Yeah, I would say um, people are rooting for you. You may not know that, 
Um, you often will never hear it, um, but people are rooting for you. And um, they are extremely proud to see you model the way um, and it will matter to them and to many. I would add to what has already been said here and I would put listening on that because you are supposed to be there. You will see the way and your team will help you in every way to be successful. So listening and really embracing the those that are surrounding you and your cheerleaders will help you be successful in that space as well. I would say that as we unpredict, you know, there's gonna be unprecedented times in different ways. They're gonna package themselves differently but know that you've been here before. My dad gave me that advice when we were going through the pandemic and you know, just everything we were managing, just completely unreal <laughs> and the future so uncertain. And I told him, I said, this is really just wild. And I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I even know what I'm doing, right? I, and he said, you've been here before. <laughs> and in a lot of ways he was right. So you have it, you have it in you, you've been there, just take a step back, work through the challenges, work back the challenges you've been through. Uh, apply them. It's it's all about balance, balancing order and chaos. And you've probably been doing that your whole life. Um, I would say breathe a lot, a lot of breathing. I, and I think everything everybody said to this point is just perfect. Did you find yourself not breathing? To this day. <laughs> <laughs> you so, don't even realize like you're holding your breath sometimes. Because you're such good consultants, you've also been hired for a follow-on engagement, which is um, you also get to give some advice to someone who is preparing to make that jump. They're thinking about whether they could, no, whether they should or could do it. And what would you, in your best coaching self, advise? I would certainly encourage that they continue to pursue it. I think... Um, Folks, um, you know, and, and I myself, I know that I feel very strong in some areas. I feel like I have like a really strong skill set in those other areas where, you know, I could always be developing. So, um, uh, you know, continuing to develop is, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're, you're, uh, you're, you're doing that. Um, but um, uh, the other thing I would um, add is, is that um, build your network. Because when you get into a role like this, uh, it gets lonely. You know, it, it gets really lonely. Um, Everybody around the screen is nodding their heads right now. I just want to state for the record. Right. Because, you know, there's some conversations you can have with some folks, others, with, you know, but you can't have, there's some conversations you just can't have with anyone uh, in your office, sometimes even at the whole institution. But you need that out. You need to be able to share um, and you need to be able to also uh, weigh out some things with a colleague. Uh, so I found that in um, folks, uh, including some of the folks here on the screen, um, to be that for me. But build a network where you can go to because um, it, it is something that um, you will need. And it's also just really helpful to get some advice and be able to, um, again, sort of play out some scenarios or whatever it is the situation you are that's weighing on you. I couldn't agree more with that. And I remember being early in my tenure here 
and getting connected to, to Ken, right? A veteran vice president. We hopped on a call in the evening. I don't know if we had cocktails, but we should have. I think and so. I remember making this joke about like, oh, this is VP therapy. And at that moment, honestly, Ken, I thought, all right, I'm going to be okay. Because hmm. I, I, I've met and connected with somebody who gets this work who knows what I'm doing and, you know, that, that you can have those really frank conversations with. So I do think that's really important. I, and I think for anyone who's on the cusp of thinking about making that decision to move into these roles, right. Talk to those of us who are here, right. We are, we want to help. We want to advise. We want to mentor in any way possible. There is no more important time for courageous leadership in higher education and in admissions. We need good leaders. One of the best pieces of advice I received that I, I just want to pass on is um, one of my mentors. She's still my mentor. She said, just think about going to a place where you can play your hand. And I, I it took me a little bit to think about that, but it it does take away some of the fear and making the leap of going to another university when you think about aligning your skills and your values with the institutions. So while I had a lot of uncertainty, I at least had that confidence of I'm walking into a place that I already believe in, right? And and I think I can I can help, right? Move along. So I, I think that I just loved that. And, and I've thought about other people who are, um, you know, trying to th move into any leadership role, you know, be a little bit choosy about where you're going and, and think about, about how you can align that with, with who you are, your values, your priorities, and your experiences. Thanks, Lisa. So go ahead, Jen. Sure. So my advice would be the fact that you're thinking about it means you should do it. And really the question that you should, the questions you should be asking yourself and the reflection should be, why are you questioning whether or not you're going to do it, right? What do you feel vulnerable about? Vulnerable about? What do you think you don't know? Because you can get answers from, from people. And so that would be my advice. And also just to make sure you're doing it for the right reason, because it's really difficult work. It's really dynamic work. Um, per Ava's point, you're going to feel really lonely at times. And the only thing that's going to make it worth it sometimes is that you love it and that you did it for the right reason. Melinda, do you have anything? Sure, I would, um, there's been so many words of wisdom shared here in terms of someone looking to come into the profession. I always think about in where we are in our work, it, there's, there's no time to look back and question. It's moving forward and if you have a passion for this work, then this is the time to say yes, which really is what we have been talking about here. That um, it's don't be afraid to to say yes, um, to step into this this work and to be surrounded with tremendous um, support and leadership that will be behind you in every direction, like we've talked about that network. So not being afraid and, and there's never going to be a right time. I think that's probably one of my, um, regrets, I guess, is looking back and saying, uh, maybe I need another year or I need to learn this one more little part before I'm ready to say yes. And so finally, you just kind of have to jump in with both feet and you will land and it will be amazing. That's great, Melinda. Thank you. Let's go to Nikki. What you got, Nikki? Just advice that I've had since I was a kid. Um, 
uh, was to um, listen to your na'o. Uh, so for Hawaiians, na'o is the word for, like, literal word for, for guts, um, your core, um, that our ancestors speak to us through our core. And so I guess I would offer for those that this possibly resonates. And I think this is very much what the theme was in this, um, that not only other people in your contemporary world rooting for you, um, but there are people that have since, uh, since moved on um, that are a part of that rooting for you. And so, um, yeah, I still would very much echo everything that was said um, to, to, to do it and, and join us um, and fight all this with us. Nikki, that is, seems like an exclamation point to this uh, this episode. Thank you. Y'all, this was, it's so good to be with all of you. Thank you. Um, I should probably, before we close this out with the official closing, ask, um, are any of you actually here recruiting right now? I mean, we'll put the, when this episode is posting, anybody um, looking for folks to join their teams? The university is recruiting. There's, we got positions. Come to sunny California. Check it out. Santa Clara University. I've heard about it. It's a wonderful place. <laughs> Anybody else want to seize the moment? Lots of openings here in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. All Hard right. to follow sunny California, Eva. <laughs> you love the... Um, great outdoors. There's a beautiful place in the Shenandoah Valley, James Madison University. We are looking for wonderful talent to join us there. Eva, Jen, Lisa, Melinda, Nikki, thank you for doing this. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know what? What's fun is that we got to do this without somebody from NACAC coming up at the beginning and giving all the rules of engagement and no recording and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we were in free play space and got to do whatever we wanted. But thank you all for uh, spending some time and more importantly, sharing your wisdom and your experiences with the next generation of folks who are thinking about making the moves that you have. That's the reason this podcast was born in the first place was to set up people who are examples, who have uh, been in leadership roles and what can we learn from their mindsets, habits, and experiences. And so I'm, I'm thrilled that you were generous enough with your time and your perspectives to share them with other folks in this great profession. So thank you. Uh, and in closing, I will say, Eva, Jen, Lisa, Melinda, Nikki, may all your dreams come true, at least the good ones. And to you, dear listener, thanks for listening. Be well and do well. <laughs>